Please join me in prayer. Merciful God, open our hearts and our minds to the hearing of your word. And hearing it, may we be transformed, better able to live as you intend for us all. Amen. Today's scripture lesson comes from Romans chapter 8, verses 19 through 25. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the children of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not of its own will, but by the will of the one who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its enslavement to decay and will obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. We know that the whole creation has been groaning together as it suffers together the pains of labor. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, grown inwardly while we wait for adoption, the redemption of our bodies. For in hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope, for who hopes for what one already sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Knowing that I would connect with the setting, my friend Terry told me about Adrian Marie Brown's short story, The River. In it, a girl from Detroit makes extra money by taking people on boat tours. The river itself is a central character in the story. It is an ominous, churning prophet, a witness of Detroit's people and history. Detroit is in that river, the story spins, the whole river and every part of the river. It's like an ancestral burying ground. It's like a holy vortex of energy. As the city struggles, though, the river becomes polluted and poisoned, and the girl notices a growing restlessness in that water that has held Detroit together, even through degradation and despair. The story concludes with a rebellion. The river literally fights back, rising up, washing away the excessive growth and manufacturing and so-called signs of progress. The girl from the boat and her neighbors are spared, and they are tasked with regrouping and rebuilding. The story made my friend wonder what would change in our understanding and our actions if we considered creation itself to be an embodied character. If creation were personified, would we more readily view her as a neighbor? And would her poor health cause more concern? Now, this is not a new idea. Scripture itself suggests this to us all the time. We are told of mountains and hills bursting into song. The trees of the field clap their hands. Jesus tells us the stones will cry out. 
And as Stacy just read, well, creation groans. We planned weeks ago to use this text in worship today. The cover image on your bulletin is from a curriculum related to the Laudato Si, a public letter written by Pope Francis in May of 2015. It focuses on care for the natural environment and all people. The artwork was created by a member of the Sisters of St. Joseph of Carondelet. It's a Catholic community that is, in its own words, motivated in all things by and around our love of God and our dear neighbors. The image of children holding on to a broken world, well, that too was chosen ahead of time. But the image of children holding on to a broken world and the idea of creation groaning, well, something about that shifted on Tuesday afternoon. Please know that I am choosing words very carefully, mindful that all different ages join us in worship, including some who just recently celebrated 10th and 11th birthdays. The image of children holding on to a broken world and the idea of creation groaning, these are often the centerpiece of conversations about environmental theology and creation care. Creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the children of God, for the creation was subjected to the futility, not of its own will, but by the will of the one who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its enslavement to decay and will obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. Sentences like this, and somehow that was all one sentence, are part of the reason people can grow frustrated with the Apostle Paul. So allow me, if you will, to offer a more direct interpretation. Creation is waiting desperately for the children of God to see more clearly, that is, to get their act together. Because everything that threatens creation right now is not creation's doing, it is the doing of those same children of God. So creation is waiting, hoping and waiting for the day when things change for the better and everyone, the very fullness of creation, will know equally of God's justice and protection, God's love and peace. Whether you prefer Paul's own words or my rendering, it's important to note that they come in the middle of a longer discourse about suffering. And whatever else you might think about Paul, his words, and he wrote a lot of them, his words are sometimes tremendously comforting and they are sometimes stinging in their rebuke. And sometimes, depending on where we're standing when we read them, they are both at the very same time. I do believe that even the harshest of his words come from a place of deep love and an earnest attempt to be as faithful as possible. 
He has reckoned with the truth of being human. We are prone to make mistakes. He would say we are prone to sin, but by grace, we are capable of so much better. And he wastes no words here or other places in calling us toward our better selves on behalf of creation, on behalf of life. Right before our scripture picked up this morning, Paul clarifies that he is talking about the sufferings of this present time. Now I could tell you a lot about the sufferings of the people of that day and location and what they might have been enduring, but his words are true in every time. If Paul were writing today, in response to the sufferings of this present time, I cannot help but wonder if he might have written, our children are waiting desperately for the people of God to see more clearly, that is, to get their act together. Because everything that threatens our children right now is not our children's doing, it is the doing of those same people of God. So our children are waiting, hoping and waiting for the day when things change for the better. And everyone knows equally of God's justice and protection, God's love and peace. Now I know that we are in a series about one thing, and I'm over here now talking about another, But that's the thing about scripture, and it's the thing about Jesus too, and justice. It's never only about one thing at the exclusion of everything else. Once you get in the business of following Jesus, once you get in the business of pursuing justice, in the very best of ways, one thing leads to another. Justice of one sort holds hands with justice of another sort. We know that the whole creation has been groaning together as it suffers together the pains of labor. Cole Arthur Riley in her book, This Here Flesh, writes, you might think justice is a form of choosing sides choosing whom to stand behind. In a way, maybe it is, but justice doesn't choose whose dignity is superior. It upholds the dignity of all those involved, no matter whom it offends or what the cost. Even when demanding retribution, justice does not demean the offender's dignity. It affirms it. It communicates that what has been done is not what the offender was made for. They, too, were made for beauty. And when justice is reached, everyone becomes more human. Everyone bears the image of the divine. Justice does not ask us to choose. I think these are some hard words 
words that I myself wrestle with, especially in light of Tuesday afternoon. 22 lives were cut short, unbearably short. As we think about all of this, there is nothing good that comes from demonizing anyone. There is nothing faithful that comes from demonizing anyone. Justice does not ask us to choose. Justice asks us to hope. Now that feels like an abrupt, an abrupt shift, I think. From suffering and groaning and pain in one sentence, Paul, all of a sudden to in hope we are saved. And then to go on and say, now hope that is seen is not hope, for who hopes for what one already sees? We hope for what we do not see, and we wait for it with patience. So we are asked not just to hope, but to hope with patience. I believe there is a good word here. If you are having a hard time believing it, stick with me. Together we will stick with scripture. As people, but particularly as people who follow Christ, our hearts are broken and hurting this week. And we might be so eager to get to the hope that our faith promises us that we do everything we can to dismiss or minimize the tragedy and the trauma, but we do that at great peril. Because the one who hopes hurts. The one who hopes in the truest sense of the word, has an unsettled heart. The one who hopes sees the reality in front of us and is dismayed. The one who hopes is not spared suffering of their own, which means the one who hopes is courageous, perhaps by some estimation foolish. And the one who hopes is patient, according to Paul. Now, Paul is right, if you know this small detail. The biblical notion of patience is not the same thing as acquiescence. The biblical notion of patience is not the same thing as enduring or endorsing the status quo. The biblical notion of patience is not the same thing as fanciful inaction. The biblical notion of patience trusts in God's promised day and very matter-of-factly organizes itself around it. Meaning those who are patient will stand up in the face of any ill and evil for as long as it takes. Those who are patient know that the way of death is not the final way, and they will dig in deep and pursue a better way and a better day. Christian hope is rooted in the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, which looks at any situation in which love is absent or life is shortened or freedom is taken away and says, no. 
And then it laces up its shoes and it goes to work. Whether that is picking up litter and reducing energy and water consumption, or whether that is campaigning for stronger regulation about gun safety and greater access to mental health resources, or whether it is speaking out on behalf of the least and the lowly and the too often overlooked. Paul says that we hope with patience. And that hope says, however long this wrong persists, we will outlast it. To hope and to hurt. To hurt and to hope, these things are not mutually exclusive. In fact, more often than not, they too are found holding hands. So let yourself hurt for all that has happened, because it is from hurt that change eventually comes. I began this sermon talking about creation personified. I think it's a faithful practice. It's one that I have actually found tremendously helpful. Thinking of creation or justice or hope or hurt as personified has been instructive to me this week. There's a little book that I recommend if you like children's stories. It's called Prayers from the Ark. And it's a story in which each animal, bird, fish, and reptile saved from the flood is given a voice. Each creature prays to God from their particular experience. The bird admits that he does not know how to pray very well at all, but nevertheless asks for protection from wind and rain. The deer, with eyes so big she sees more of the world than others, prays for God to quiet her fear. The dog, ever faithful, prays not to die until, for us, all danger has been driven away. The bee prays that the work of his small, eager life will melt into our great communal task to lift up your glory. The glowworm prays for a dark corner so that her heart would have room to flicker out a message of hope and a gleam of joy to those who need it most. The poet also gives Noah a voice. This is appropriate since ultimately we are all in the same boat. Noah prays for the dove to bring, to bring back a twig of hope. He prays for rest from turbulence and weariness and for the ground underneath to once again become solid and safe. The days are long, Lord, he prays. Lead us until we reach the shore of your covenant. That's not a bad prayer for all of us right now. The days are long, Lord. Lead us until we reach the shore of your covenant. And hold on to us until we reach your promised day. Pray with me. Gracious God, we believe.
Help our unbelief. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.